This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Good morning again. Today's reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times and at the seventh time he said behold a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea and he said go up say to Ahab prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you and in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. When Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength that the food of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the Mount of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the joy that we have to gather together your church, to sit under the preaching of your word, and to be blessed by what you have for us today. Father, there are many in this congregation who desperately need to hear your word. Whether we be in joy or we be in sorrow, we need your word to guide us, to lead us, to bless us, to encourage us, to rebuke us. Father, I pray that you would give us all hearts to receive and minds to hear what it is that you have for us today. That, Lord, you would minister to us corporately as a church, but also individually 
as each one of us comes with needs. Lord, I lift up Pastor Aaron, who's been preparing this week to serve this meal, which is your word to us, to bring a spiritual nutrition that all of us need. Be with him today. I pray, God, that he would not say more than you've prepared him for, nor less, but that your word would go forth and be the blessing that we need. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd ask you to have it open there to 1 Kings as we continue our series in the study of Elijah. You know, as a little boy, I sat in Sunday school class, and as I sat in Sunday school class, one of the things we would often do is sing uh, songs. One of the songs we happened to sing went like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the sun and the moon in his hands. He's got the little bitty babies in his hands. He's got you and me brother in his hands. He's got you and me sister in his hands. He's got everybody in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. I remember as a little boy hearing the words to that And I think it was probably the first time I realized that God is truly sovereign over all. Not some, not most. He's absolutely ruler over all. The question before us today, as the question stood before me as a little guy singing that song, was how was I going to respond to that? How are we responding to that truth? See, as Christians, we don't believe in luck, although we like potlucks. We, we don't believe in luck. Maybe we should call them pot providences. But we don't, we don't believe in luck, and we don't believe in happenstance. Now, as Christians, we believe in a sovereign God who is actively ruling over all. We believe in a God who is putting his plan to work and bringing it into realization. In theological terms, we call this God's providence. As uh, Elder Jim explained just a few minutes ago, as he defined providence using the Westminster Confession of Faith, it, it says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. And then it adds this little phrase, to his own glory. It's important that we wrestle with the understanding of do we really believe in the providence of God, that God is acting in his most holy and wise and powerful acts to preserve and govern everything and everyone for his own glory. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that when life brings some droughts, when the difficult times come? Surely we know there are no accidents. Surely we know God knows what he's doing, but do we believe it? Do we believe it when God brings the refreshing rain, the joys, as Jeremy mentioned? Those times of joy aren't just dumb luck, for there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. We believe that God is the one who brings the refreshing rains. So as Christians... The real question before each and every one of us is, do we believe God is at work? 
God is at work bringing all things together for his glory and our good. Do we really believe that? And if so, how will we respond? See, as we'll see in our text, everyone doesn't always respond appropriately, especially to the droughts, but even to the showers. Do we really see that both the droughts and the times of refreshing rain are actually ways and times and seasons to which we are given to honor God? The story of our text tells us that the land was thirsty. It needed water desperately. This drought that was being experienced by King Ahab and the people of the north, Israel, yes, it was a physical drought, but be assured it most certainly pointed to a spiritual drought. People were busy worshiping Baals rather than worshiping the living and true God. And through Elijah the prophet, the people were confronted with their sin. We just heard last week of them standing on Mount uh, Mount, uh, Carmel. And there, that ultimately they offered sacrifices, one for Baal and one for Yahweh, to see who was the living and true God. And God did arrive. God did show his power. And in light of that, what we have in our text this morning, verse 41, is Elijah tells King Ahab, After the slaughtering of 450 false prophets of Baal, he tells him, get up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of rushing rain. Understand that there was no sound to be heard other than Elijah's head. But Elijah believed this, that God would do what he promised. That in his sovereignty, in his providence, God would bring about what he promised. Ironically, King Ahab, who was the enemy of Elijah, obeys Elijah. He gets up and he goes and he eats, believing what Elijah said to be true. We're told in our text that Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he began to pray. It says in the text, he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. Now, we're not given the words of what his prayer consisted of, but you can hear it in your own head. Maybe mumbling, please, Lord, show up. Please, God, do this. Or, Lord, you promised. Whatever it was, he sent his servant to go and look towards the sea. And the servant looked, and he came back saying, there's nothing. Some six times they repeated this course where Elijah would pray and send his servant out to look over the sea, and his servant would come back and say, there's nothing. Finally, on the seventh time, repeating that same process, go look. The servant came back and said in verse 44, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising over the sea. Friends, sometimes the refreshing rain we're looking for may not come as we expect, may not come in our time, but we can come praising God because it will arrive. It may arrive in a small little way, but we can rejoice 
in the grace of God. It's at that moment that Elijah, hearing that good news, that there was a little dark cloud over the sea, he tells his servant, now go tell Ahab, get up, prepare your chariot, and go down, lest the rain stop you. Imagine what he's really saying. There's going to be such a rushing of rain that your wheels on your chariot are going to get caught in the mud. What belief, what confidence. And verse 45 tells us, in a little while and the heavens grew black and the cloud and the wind and there was a great rain. We could stop right there and preach a whole sermon about the grace of God in the midst of our droughts, in the midst of our sufferings, that God's grace never arrives too late. It always arrives when it's needed. It's encircling us. It's, it's empowering us. It's holding us up. That's exactly what Elijah experienced. And so we see that King Ahab obeys Elijah yet again, and he rides back to Jezreel. But there's this interesting verse in verse 46. It says, But the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and he gathered up his garments, and he ran before Ahab and he, to the entrance of Jezreel. Did you catch that? He ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel some 17 miles. That run alone, right, should overwhelm him. But he actually overtakes in that 17 miles the chariot and the horse of the king. God's hand was upon him. The grace of God was holding him up. God had showed his, his love for Elijah in accepting his sacrifice on Mount Carmel. God had showed his love and provision for Elijah in answering his prayer. God showed his love and provision for Elijah in the rains that came. And yes, God showed his love and provision for Elijah, empowering him to run some 70 miles and actually beat Ahab's chariot. Friends, that's good news for us this morning because the grace of God is holding us up. The grace of God is refreshing us. It's blessing a weary people. But the question for each of us is this, have you personally tasted the refreshing grace of God in your life? You have. But have you noticed? Have you personally recognized God's power of providence and care over you? How have you responded? See, that's the thing. We all respond differently. And that's exactly what takes place in the story. We come to a part of the story that right after Ahab arrives, after Elijah, King Ahab gets off his chariot and he does what he's supposed to do. He goes right into the house to tell his wife the good news of all the things that had happened. We're told that he tells Jezebel the queen everything that Elijah had done. This includes the challenging of, of, the, of the bull on Mount Carmel. 
the offering, the sacrifice, and how Elijah had poured water over the sacrifice, and how God had sent lightning from the sky to consume the sacrifice and even the water. How Elijah had predicted the rain, and it rained. But King Ahab also told Elijah how Elijah had killed all the prophets with a sword. And in hearing that, Jezebel responds in chapter 19, verse 2. She says this, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. It seems that Jezebel missed everything else that was said, and all she focused on was on her own defeat, the slaughter of the 450 prophets of Baal. She missed the great rain. She missed God's provision in taking the sacrifice of Elijah. She missed everything and only focused on the negative, a negative from her own perspective. See, friends, don't miss this. This great rain of God brings refreshment. But if we have hard hearts, all we will see is darkness. question this morning is how hard does a person have to be to have this kind of reaction like Jezebel? It's very easy to point fingers at others and talk about their hard-heartedness, but I'm reminded of the English reformer John Bradford. In the year 1533, he was seeing criminals led to their execution. And all he could say were these words that probably are words that you yourself had said at some point in time. He said as he saw those criminals being led to their execution, he said, There but for the grace of God go I. He acknowledged himself a criminal before God. He acknowledged his own hard-heartedness. See, the truth of the matter is we're all naturally born this way. Because of sin, we're born with hard hearts. And that's why we, we need the good news of the gospel. That's why we need the work of the Holy Spirit. According to Ezekiel 36, verse 26, the work of the covenant of grace that the Holy Spirit brings is he exchanges the heart of stone that we're born with for a soft heart. All of grace. But those left with hard hearts. Paul refers to in Romans 2 where he says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. Judgment. The hard-heartedness, the reaction of Jezebel shows that she is not a child of God. She's a child of Satan. Friends, this is why we need God's grace so desperately. But for the grace of God, go I. Paul also writes in Ephesians 2, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one, absolutely no one could boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grace of God works in us so that we 
might honor him in how we respond, both the droughts and the rain. Church, I ask you this morning to really consider how hard is your heart. Do you find yourself angry at God for things in life? My call to you would be to repent, to trust, to lean on Christ. See, there's a story in this story of a faithful man, a faithful man made fearful. In verse 3, we're told Elijah hears the words of threat that come out of Jezebel's mouth, and he is afraid. He's afraid for his life. Elijah does something. He, he runs to Beersheba with his servant. And Beersheba is the southern part of the kingdom. It doesn't belong to Israel in the north. It belongs to Judah in the south. He's supposed to be a prophet in the north, calling for repentance. But now he finds himself afraid, and so he runs. In an act of kindness, he leaves his servant there seeking to protect his servant's life, seeing that if Jezebel comes from me, you shouldn't be with me. You stay here in Beersheba. And so Elijah goes alone. We're told he sits under a broom tree and he asks that he might die. Friends, what a turn of events in this man's life. The one who was just filled with boldness, the one who was just filled with power, now sits discouraged and desiring to die. And yet before we judge him, how often have we found ourselves in that place? God, just take me home. I can't handle this anymore. See, things weren't going as Elijah thought, were they? Truth is, Elijah ran excited to Jezreel. He saw how Ahab responded to his orders. He, he saw the power and the grace of God in bringing the rain. He saw what God did at Mount Carmel, and he ran believing in excitement that Jezebel and the nations would repent that his Mount Carmel evangelism had worked. But when he arrives, and after Ahab gives Jezebel the news, Elijah's life is threatened. And for Elijah, this is one of the lowest points of his life. Scripture says he sees. It's there tucked in. It's hidden in the Hebrew, but the, the idea there is that he sees, he truly sees for the first time that things aren't going as he planned. How many of us know that story in our own lives? God, things are not going as we plan. How do we respond? Hear Elijah's words, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He's true, he's right. He is no better than his father's. All of us are born in sin. None of us are righteous. But you know what? Even the righteous one they rejected. If they rejected Christ, how much more should all of us expect to be rejected? The apostle John writes in John 12, he says, 
Though Jesus had done so many signs before the people, they still did not believe in him. Friends, think of all the things that Jesus did. He healed the sick. He, the lame walked. The blind see. The leper are cleansed. Lazarus has been raised from the grave. And yet still, they don't believe in him. So we shouldn't be surprised that they will reject us as well. See, the point is simple. Hard hearts and blind eyes will not see and they will not understand. The truth of the matter is, for those of us walking with Christ, this is discouraging. It's discouraging that we can't change hearts. How many of us are praying for our children or our neighbors or our friends or our grandchildren that they would have soft hearts and, and come to the Lord and repent? How discouraging that our evangelism doesn't seem to be working. How, how discouraging that our efforts seem in vain. And yet we don't see it all, do we? We don't always know what God's up to. And yet even in the midst of our pain, God's providence, his grace, appears. It appears yet again in the form of an angel this time. In verse 5, we're told an angel touched Elijah and said, Arise and eat. And he does this on two occasions, strengthening this man who's so discouraged and so defeated. Arise and eat. This ministry of the angel was leading to a life change for Elijah. All the way by verse 8, we see Elijah rising and it says he went in strength. And where did he go? Scripture tells us he went to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. He went to be near God. In his strength, he ran to God. Given a soft heart and unblocked ears and, and, and unblinded eyes, and he saw he ran to worship his God. Friends, God strengthens his people in the times of need. Friends, God's grace changes everything. We see in the story that Elijah is strengthened, and the truth of the matter is, so shall we be if we're in Christ. See, Christ is our strength. Jesus talking to the woman at the well in John 4, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. He'll never thirst again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up of eternal life. Even in the midst of the droughts and the depression and the discouragement, and the shortcomings, the well is deep in Jesus. And it strengthens, and it nourishes, and it provides for his people. Friends, do you catch it? Do you understand it? That Jesus doesn't just give us a cup of cold water in a weary land. He gives us the deep well of himself so that we can be strengthened when we're dry and discouraged. I ask you this morning, 
Have you tasted the grace that Christ provides? Have you found your refreshment in Christ alone? Run to Christ. Cling to Christ. He is your strength. As we look in this story, we note the difference between a hard heart and a soft heart. It's all about how they respond to God's providence. We recognize that even in the soft heart, it takes time for, for, for God's grace to, to really, in a sense, take effect in the man. But God's grace is there encompassing him, working on him, strengthening him. And yet for Jezebel, that grace of God only made her harder, only made her more angry. See, in Jezebel, rather than rejoicing in the rains, in a time of drought, she was angry at the loss of her prophets. Well, Elijah was fearful. God ministered to him and strengthened him. And he went to worship. The question for each of us is, how are we responding How are we responding to the providence God has placed in our life? The way in which he's working and ordering things for his glory and our good. Do we trust him? Are we clinging to him? Is our hope in him? Friends, all that you see and experience will either make you hard or it will make you tender for the Lord. What's happening in you? As your pastor, I repeat the words of Paul to the church of Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Not just in the good times, but even in the droughts. Rejoice in the Lord always, for his grace is enough. His grace is sufficient for you. Cling to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on these words of Scripture in 1 Kings, we see your grace so evident, your provision and care for your people. And yet, Lord, we see two very different experiences to that grace. One whose hard heart led her to death threats and hatred. And the other, who even in the time of fear and concern was strengthened by your word. So much so that he sought you, a changed man, seeking to glorify and worship is God. Lord, I pray for us who are gathered here in our droughts and also in the refreshing rain, God, that we would be people who worship you, that we would see your sovereign hand and we would glorify your name. God, work and minister in us in such a way that you are our chief joy and greatest love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, 
This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.